Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read a page of The Wise Man's Fear, and then we talk about it. This is page 640. A tense stillness settled inside of me, the sort of silence that comes before a thunderclap. I felt the air begin to crystallize around me. I felt cold. Detachedly, I gathered up the pieces of my mind and fit them all together. I was, quoth, the trooper, Edamara born. I was, quoth, the student, Rilar under Elidin. I was, quoth, the musician. I was, quoth. I stood above Felurian. I felt as if this was the only time in my life I had been fully awake. Everything looked clear and sharp, as if I was seeing with a new set of eyes, as if I wasn't bothering with my eyes at all and was looking at the world directly with my mind. The sleeping mind. Some piece of me realized faintly. No longer sleeping, I thought, and smiled. I looked at Felurian, and in that moment I understood her down to the bottoms of her feet. She was of the Fae. She did not worry over right or wrong. She was a creature of pure desire, much like a child. A child does not concern itself with consequence, neither does the sudden storm. Florian resembled both and neither. She was ancient and innocent and powerful and proud. Was this the way Elidin saw the world? Was this the magic he spoke of? Not secrets or tricks, but Taberlin the Great Magic, always there, but beyond my seeing, until now? It was beautiful. I met Felurian's eyes, and the world grew slow and sluggish. I felt as if I had been thrust under water, as if my breath had been pressed from my body. For that tiny moment, I was stunned and numb, as if I had been struck by lightning. The moment passed, and things began to move again. But now, looking into Felurian's twilight eyes, I understood her far beyond the bottoms of her feet. Now I knew her to the marrow of her bones. Her eyes were like four lines of music, clearly penned. My mind was filled with the sudden song of her. I drew a breath and sang it out in four hard notes. Valerian sat upright. She passed her hand before her eyes and spoke a word as sharp as shattered glass. There was a pain like thunder in my head. Darkness flickered at the edges of my sight. I tasted blood and bitter rue. The world snapped back into focus, and I caught myself before I fell. Valerian frowned straightened stood her face intent she took a step standing she was not tall or terrible her head was barely level with my chin her dark hair hung a sheaf of shadow straight as a knife until it brushed against her curving hip she was slight and pale and perfect never have i ended a page before i'm nick i'm jordana i'm jeremy now, Jeremy, do you deny that what Quoth is doing at this time is naming? Not in the least. He's naming her. And do you see how Quoth is able to name her by seeing her not as simply a name, but as music? Sure. Indeed, in order to name her, he sings her? Sure. I submit to you that when Quoth is doing music, he is doing naming, and that the way Quoth will be able to master naming is by understanding it not as simple naming, but as an, a music, an active musical creation. And I submit to you that what Quoth was doing when he was repairing his mind as a child in the forest was naming. That's possible. I'll believe it when I told it by the book. Ah, yes. Now, small country lawyer, I don't disagree with you, but if what he's doing to her is naming, what is she doing to him? Did she is that what she did? Did she name him and that's why he tasted blood? I think it's like an attack spell or something, like it's an attempt to break his mind or or maybe it's like lift even more so cranking up the 
the desire powers, but it's not as powerful as naming. She, I think she's not capable of, well, then again, she, maybe she's capable of like shaping. She does the, I don't know if it's not as powerful. I think she does have a different kind of magic. Uh, My sense of it is that when she passes her hand before her eyes, that's like, to put it in crude terms, like a counter spell, like she's trying to break the spell that he is casting by naming her. She's trying to like remove that, that effect on herself. And he's kind of getting the reverb of that, the aftershock. Yeah. And I think, um, especially at the first paragraph of tomorrow's page, we'll talk about this, but I think that she is very much cranking up the desire even more so that like, there's even the, the amount that almost erased his identity was not her at, at 10. Um, and so she's cranking it up again, and we'll we'll see how Namer Quoth reacts to that. But he, I think it is not a spoiler to say that he is uh, not affected by it in the same uh, to the same extent as he was earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, because he, in some sense, he has reduced her ability to compel him by under by naming her and thus understanding her. You know, in that sense of like. Once, you know, if I name the supernatural thing, then I have mastery yes. over it. Uh, I also think it's worth pointing out that once again, Quoth's sleeping mind and his ability to name things or people in this case is awakened by something terrible happening to him, like some kind of trauma, right? That's what happens when he calls the wind and breaks Ambrose's arm. Ambrose breaks his lute. It seems to happen every time that sleeping part of his mind awakens kind of all at once is to protect him from something terrible maybe getting ahead of myself here because it's the chapter title but i mean the chapter title is on this page and he says that he tastes blood and bitter rue and i had to cursory google what rue was because i thought it was like like the thing you make with like cheese like the sauce that's spelled differently Ugh. I assume that he's using it in the, in the sense of like regret maybe but apparently uh rue is also an herb so if something was to taste like rue, it could taste like this herb. Yes, I think it is a bit of double-tonguedness. In that he means it in both senses, like the, the herb and regret. Well, today I learned that rue has more than one meaning. I mean, me too, because I, I googled it. <laughs> it is also, uh, so again, cursory Google. Apparently it has, uh, or had, um, Pliny the Elder wrote of it uh, as having medical uh, uses, uh, many of which were uh, for augmenting coitus. Oh, that is an interesting oh, detail. Okay, that's interesting. Like it's it's an it's an aphrodisiac. Oh, I'm sorry. It actually uh, dampens. So apparently, it it makes you more virile. It, according to Pliny the Elder, it augments the sperm, but it dampens the desire for coitus. Oh, okay. So the opposite of booze, which removes, which enhances the desire, but takes away the performance. Yes. And then it is, uh, it has a culinary use and it is bitter. Okay. I mean, I know chapter titles don't always mean something, but like, this is awfully specific not to mean something. (laughs) No, I think that Rothfuss has read his Pliny the Elder. I think he's absolutely using it in that sense. Now that I know that. I mean, also, 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 Quoth is of the Edamara. Which sounds kind of like Rue. Interesting. I never thought of that. I guess it depends how you pronounce Ra. Edamaru. I say Ra largely because I believe that Edamara and Edemra are rooted in the same word. I'm pretty sure I've said them both interchangeably. I can't remember. I think I say Edamara because Nick says Edamara. Edamaru just makes me think of Winnie the Pooh. Kanga, Rue. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> it doesn't work for me. Edamaru. 
Winnie the Pooh. Get out of here. <laughs> no, how about you? Get out. Get 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 out of here. <laughs> it rhymed. I had to do it. I feel like that's kind of all I've got on this one. I feel like we covered the subject matter pretty well, but does anyone else have anything they want to add? Oh, no, I do. I do. I do. Uh, Quoth describes Valerian in the exact terms that I put forward on the previous page. She does not worry about right and wrong. She's a creature of pure desire, much like a child, right? She's not thinking about consequences. She just does what she wants. Well, pat yourself on the back then. I will. I will be doing it a lot. I will pat Rothfuss myself on the back. Ooh. So I alluded to a letter yesterday, and Hilarious. we shall uh, read it today. It's on pay. What? Huh? Would you say that you alluded to it? I would not, and I. No one should say that. This letter is from. <laughs> this letter is from <laughs> Joe, on page six one five, summoning angels. Hello, all. Something I was thinking about related to page three one five and Martin's prayer is that Martin's prayer seems well-memorized and reads to me a lot like a parallel of the Lord's Prayer. This made me wonder about why the hundreds or thousands of people who likely repeat this prayer every single day somehow don't bother the Chandrian. I think this is because Martin's invocation of the protection of Tellu and his angels is actually directly is actually directed toward a literal demon. Everyone else in the Four Corners who may follow the Aturan faith and potentially repeats this prayer is likely not actually directing it towards an actual demon. From what little we know about the story of Telu through Trappist's story, we know for certain that Telu's main focus as a messianic figure was the destruction or banishment of any and all demons that he came across. We also see this in the end of Scarpy's story when Telu and the other angels are empowered, which then gets Scarpy arrested for heresy. I feel like this means that he that the use of Telu's name in a situation he'd actually be interested in garners a whole lot more attention for the supernatural beings involved on both sides. Another crack in this plot for me is the idea that Martin may follow the theoretical Mender-Menda heresy that Trappist is also theorized to be a follower of. Martin's recitation of the prayer seems to put a lot of emphasis on Menda, who was Telu, son of himself. This prayer also seems to put Telu and the other angels on similar footing. Martin's prayer does not end solely with a plea to Telu, but to Telu and all of the other angels that followed him, which to me also seems similar to how Telu is portrayed at the end of Scarpy's story, as simply the leader of a group of similar beings. If any of this is the case, perhaps Martin's prayer was so effective due to its closer proximity to the reality behind the Oturan church. What do you guys think? Does Telu not care unless demons are involved? Is Martin a mender? Do you think Martin's prayer is analogous to the Lord's prayer? Thanks. Signed, Joe. Uh, this makes me think that the church has lost its way and that only the heretics or only the old prayers can actually protect you from demons. Potentially the church has been infiltrated by demons who don't want actual prayers circulating. And maybe that's why they're cracking down on uh, people telling the story of, of Menda and the, the demon, the, the, the various um, demon crunchings and, and whatnot. Uh, I mean, that's that's a, a read that is not necessarily wrong. Now, now, Judge, I don't know about all that. I'm just a simple country lawyer. But uh, I do believe... Yes, of course! We went to the same simple country <laughs> yes, law school. At simple country law school, they teach you to talk like that. Uh, <laughs> but... That's right. I'm actually from Brooklyn, but I went to simple country law school. <laughs> Now, Judge, I'm walking here. I say I'm walking here. <laughs> oh, God. Multiverse of law school. <laughs> my life. Uh... <laughs> Multiverse of Brooklyn guy. <laughs> well, now I want to be like Boston guy. I want to be like Boston lawyer. 
Now, Judge, A, O, Judge, uh, uh, Bean Town, Judge. <laughs> now, Judge, how do my, you like your apples? My my actual response to the question is like, I do think that we are meant to subconsciously connect Martin's prayer and the way he says it to the way that a a Christian might use the Lord's Prayer uh, or or like a Hail Mary or something. Uh, in fact, it's maybe even more analogous to a Hail Mary. I agree, but I also kind of agree with like if if so, wouldn't that be bothering Telu an awful lot? So maybe Martin. I also don't get the sense that Martin is like a heretic, uh, but maybe he's like reverting to an older prayer or something like that. Maybe this is the prayer that they don't say anymore, but he still knows because he's like an old school guy. I don't know. We actually don't know too much about the actual workings of the church. Basically, all the church stories we've been told are uh, are heresies. So we actually don't know what the Telen Church really espouses like you know we could actually dive into this and say that like what what the heretics basically talk about as being the founding event of the church the hunt for Ancanus, has been relegated to a lark like a once a year uh, mum a mummer show you know like maybe that's kind of the heresy of it like maybe the original real focus of the church was actually the demon hunting and everything else was ancillary and now that the church is you know, widely spread and potentially being, I'm, I'm going to start nursing this theory that the church has been infiltrated by, by demons or Chandrian. Um, and they're trying to change the narrative around the, the demons and all that. Like maybe they're, they're moving more into like a religion and less of a demon hunting cadre. And that's why the, you know, we, we know that the, like the hunt for Incanus is a big part of the midwinter pageantry, but maybe that's in effort to defang it. I have no idea. Yeah, this is this. I am. I'm kind of head empty. No thoughts about this. this is this is like too deep down the rabbit hole for me. But uh, as a simple country lawyer, I love this for all of you. <laughs> uh, very good, very good. As a simple country judge, I'll allow it. All right, uh, and we will send we will send you all to simple country law school on tomorrow's page uh, of the. Win. Win.